I was a terror since the public school era. Bathroom passes, cutting classes, squeezing asses. Smoking blunts was a daily routine since 13. A chubby nigga on the scene. I used to have the Trey Deuce and the Deuce Deuce in my bubble goose. Now I got the Mac in my knapsack, lounging black, smoking sacks up and axe and sidekicks with my sidekicks, rocking fly kicks. Honey's wanna chat, but all we wanna know is where the party at. And can I bring my jack? If not, I hope I don't get shot. Better throw my vest on my chest, cause niggas is a mess. It don't take nothing but front for me to start something. Bugging and bucking at niggas like I was duck hunting. Dumbing out just me and my crew, cause all we wanna do is... Welcome back to another episode of Don't Send Me Bro Podcast. Today is Sunday, August 20th, 2023, and you are with me. Brandon Hopper. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions. So I come here about once every week or so to get them off my chest. Some you'll agree with, others you won't, and I am perfectly okay with that. The world would be a better place if we could all learn to disagree without being so dang disagreeable. And just because we have different opinions doesn't mean we can't be friends. If you've ever wanted to know what the world's best hammock is like, go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Order yourself a nice, big, fancy, soft hammock that's literally the best of the world. How do I know? Because I've traveled the world and I have located the best hammocks. And you order them from me and I will send them to you. And you too can also experience the world's best hammocks. Sit back, relax, and let me dump the dump truck for about the next 45 minutes or so. What's happening, everybody? Y'all been buying Bitcoin? I hope y'all been buying Bitcoin. I've been buying Bitcoin the last week or so because it's been down. You know, when Bitcoin falls, I buy. That's how it works. And I can probably assure that nobody who's listening actually bought Bitcoin, but that's okay. You know what? That is okay. When I'm flying around in a private jet, some of yous might be able to ride with me. The other of yous will just say, you know what? That dude was right. I should have just bought that Bitcoin stuff. I never knew it. I never knew it. And then certainly there will be people who said, why didn't you tell me about Bitcoin, whatever it's called? And I'll say, you should listen to my podcast. You should have listened and you should have acted. But that's okay. You know what? I'm not giving you financial advice. Some people just like to be poor. I'm not one of them, though. One of these days, I want to be unpoor. I want to not have to worry about anything. Not so I can just sit around and do nothing, but so that I can travel around and do lots of things. And what did he say specifically to you? Sit down, nigga. Keyshawn Chambers is a freshman at Valley High School, a Boy Scout, a football player, a member of the ROTC, an honor roll student. He was hanging around his teacher's classroom door in December. The teacher told him to sit down. And I just kind of was stunned a second. Well, 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 then get away from the door, nigga. And I was just, I repeated the same insult because that's 
sort of what I've been trained to do. The school district says that is not what they trained English teacher Paul Dawson to do. He tried to say I said it and for some and I didn't say it and no one else in the class knows that I said it because I didn't. Why why is this word used so frequently? So I just I just don't understand it. And, and I'm trying to understand it. I need help. Yes, I I use nigga. I I've I've used it. I admit it. I put the H on it to emphasize it's nigga. Me too. That, you know, nigga, nigga this, nigga, nigga please, nigga, you know, can you lend a nigga a pencil? You want to know what my take is? You want to know what I think about that news clip that I got off uh, the Instagrams? It might offend you. It might offend you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I think it's funny. I think it's funny. Brandon, we should not joke about certain words. And I have to disagree. I disagree. I think it's funny. You know what? You don't have to think it's funny. That's okay. That's okay. Now, does it mean that I'm hateful? Mm, probably not. Probably not. You know why I think it's funny? I think it's funny because it's so taboo. I think it's funny because we have, we have letting words offend us so much that we will fire people for saying them. We're not firing them for the intent. We're firing them for using words. We're not firing them for physically harming people. We're firing them for using words. We don't even care what their thoughts are. We don't care what they think. All we do is care what they say. And I understand that some words are more offensive than others. I totally get that. If that's the case, I kind of feel like the rules should be the same for everyone. Either we're going to agree that people can use a certain word, or we're going to disagree that they cannot use certain words, but we can't have some people allowed to use some words and other people not allowed to use the same words, even if they have the same intentions. Do you see how it confuses people? How it could confuse people? How it's a, it's a double standard in our society? It's a, well, if you're a certain skin color, then you are allowed to use this word and all, all in good fun. You know, you're, you're allowed to use it. And even if you hate people, you can still call them that word. Oh, but if you're white, mm -mm, no, you can't. You're not allowed to say that word. But what if I, what if I wasn't intending harm or I didn't, mean, I didn't mean anything racist? It's just a word. I was using it in a joke. Nope, mm -mm, can't do that. You're fired. You're fired for doing that. And the only way this changes is if people speak up about it. And it's, you know, I've felt this way for a long time, but I've finally realized that I do not care. I don't care what people think about me. And if I ever get to the point where I can't run for office because I have these opinions, then that's fine. Well, you people could just go on electing these people who don't actually say what they think. They just keep it bottled up inside themselves. And I, and I guarantee you that those people are telling racist jokes behind closed doors. Okay, so which would you rather have? People who are willing to put their opinions out there and say why or why not they do and do not find certain things racist or offensive, or somebody who just says, we should respect everyone and never, ever, ever say that word. But then they're thinking, unless we're with our friends who won't tell anyone that we're saying it. And everyone knows what I mean. You've, you've all been in certain situations whether it's this particular word or some other no-no word that no one's allowed to say, you've all been in a setting whereby you trust everyone who's there that they won't repeat what you're saying. 
And it's not that you're scared that people might hear that you said a certain word. It's that you're scared that people might think you're racist or some sort of sexist or a bigot or, or whatever. Fill in the blank, right? It's not the words that are bad. It's the intentions. We can all agree on that. Do I think it's classy to use certain words in certain settings? Absolutely not. Do I think there's a time and place for everyone to use humor? Uh-huh. I sure do. And perhaps we can disagree on where we both find it appropriate to use humor. But that's what makes the world go round. And if we're going to infer or imply that using a word, no matter the context, makes you racist, then that's pretty silly. Because what, what we're doing is we're passing judgment or we're stereotyping or we're being judgy, which is exactly what people say that we shouldn't do. So if I'm going to make a determination whether someone is racist or not based on one word, regardless of the context, I'm the one who's, who's doing wrong. I'm the one who should not be doing that. But for some reason, we're all scared to speak up. We're scared... We're scared what everyone will think about us. What will they think? What, what will they think? Who cares? Who cares what people think about you? You're not running for president. You know, you're just a regular dude with a regular job. And if people refuse to get to know someone because they don't like what they joked about, chances are they'd have never made a good friend. You know, they would never be in the circle of trust, right? And all I can do is hope that one day, if I'm ever in the public light, and somebody digs this up out of the archive and says, he thinks it's okay to use N-word. I'll say, did you listen to the whole thing, number one? And number two, have you talked to anybody who knows me? Because that's what matters. Now, I'm not one of those people that will sit here and say, there, no, there ain't no racism in this country. There ain't no racism. I do think there's not much. I think there's not much at all. And it's not because we've gotten pressure from media platforms and political figures and actors and artists. That's not why racism is dwindling away. Racism is dwindling away because we are understanding that humans are humans and that you shouldn't be judged based on the color of your skin. You should be judged on how you act, what you say, what you do. Those are the things you should be judged on. And I, you know what, what really irks me, what really gets me twisted up, is when I, I'll get to know people or I'll be talking to people that, let's just say they're from the Pacific Northwest. And, you know, I'm from Texas. I've lived all my life except for two years inside Texas. I've got family all around the Gulf Coast. I'm familiar with the South. But I'll be talking to someone who's lived in the Pacific Northwest their whole life, maybe never been to the South, maybe been there a couple times. They hear on the news about all the racism and the racists and this and that. But they've never experienced it. And here's where I'm coming from. I'm coming from somebody who knows a lot about the cultures all over the country. And I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm just saying that those types of things interest me. And when I go places, I pay very close attention to culture. I want to know the things like what kind of cars they drive, what kind of food do they eat, what do they think's funny, what kind of boats do they have local to their area, what kind of accents do the people have. And for somebody to sit here and tell me that, oh, well, you just don't see racism. It's everywhere. It's all around you. No, I would see it. I would see it. And you know why? Because I, would, I look for it. I look for it. 
mainly because it's constantly being rammed down our throat that everyone's racist. And I will say, I will say, I feel like the pendulum is starting to swing back the other way, and it's not quite as bad. I, I could be wrong. Maybe it's just that I'm starting to care less, but I feel like people are not as quick to cry racism about everything. And people from other countries don't understand that we can have a vast array of cultures within the U.S. because it's so big. And so if you've never lived here or experienced life here, then you don't know. You just hear what they put on the news. And you have to remember, they put on the news whatever is interesting to people, whatever makes them feel good, whatever makes them want to click on the next article or scroll farther down the page. And I really think that independent journalism is changing this also. Recently, you know, Tucker Carlson, they kicked him off Fox News. So what did he do? He went straight to Twitter, started his own deal. And almost instantly, he's getting more views and more clicks than any news station ever did. And that is awesome. I I like to cut out the middlemen because middlemen don't add value to the equations. And we're seeing firsthand that when there's no need for them, they go away. And in a situation like media, which is still, I guess, technically journalism kind of considered an art, but whenever you have something like that, it's it's protected under free speech, which means it cannot be regulated. Well, I guess technically it can, kind of, but the government shouldn't be getting involved. And when people spin off and do their own things, then you can't stop them because we're protected under free speech. And all free speech is, is the ability to share your opinions. And what sucks is that there's a chance that this this podcast could be taken down just from, from me playing the news clip that I played at the opening. And it's frustrating for me, somebody who has lots and lots of opinions, to not be able to share those opinions. Especially when I'm not calling for violence. I'm not insinuating racism. I'm just saying there's always a different perspective. And it's okay to laugh at different perspectives. Feeling intimidated to not say what you think would be a terrible way to live. And I know that a lot of people think that, well, I just, it's better to not cause trouble. I, I get it. But imagine if you didn't even have the ability to. Imagine if it, it wasn't because you were scared what your coworkers might think. But imagine if, if you gave your opinion and it was illegal and you could go to jail for it. Because there's lots of countries out there where that's the case. When I went to go take out a billboard in Nicaragua, they wanted me to sign this big waiver saying that I wouldn't post anything about the president, good or bad. And I thought, man, that's crazy. This would never fly in the U.S. And it humbled me and it made me realize that they can't stop us from doing that. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because the, the leaders, the political leaders should fear us. They should be scared of what we're going to do to them. Imagine if you were a leader, elected leader, and you could do whatever you wanted to, and nobody could say anything. It's a dream for a crooked politician. I love the Mexican people. Uh, look at my African-American over here. Look at him. You want to know why Trump's dominating so much? You want to know why? You want to know why he's been charged or indicted like four times and faces like, I don't know, whatever, 500 years in prison? Because he speaks the language of the average person. Opposed to somebody like Mitt Romney, who does not speak the language of the average person. Like I always say, most politicians 
speak like aliens. No one understands them. They're not normal. The people they're trying to win over have nothing in common with them. Not a single thing. Now, here's Mitt Romney telling us about how wonderful hot dogs are and how hot dog is his favorite meat. Okay, I'm going to set a visual for you, okay? Mitt Romney is probably in his, I don't know, mid-60s now. His hair's white. And he's walking down the hallway of what I presume is maybe the Capitol. You know, I don't know, some big fancy building that we'll never see the inside of. And he's got this hot dog in his hand. He's holding out in front of him. He's got a shirt and tie on. And he's wearing a hat. And his hat's got a hot dog on it. It looks like he went over to Wiener Schnitzel and he said, Hey, can I borrow that hat real quick? I got to make a video to try to trick everybody that I'm like y'all. So let me, let me just see the hot dog, the weenie hat, and I'm going to put it on and walk down this hallway and y'all just film me. Okay. We're going to do that. This is what, this is what it looks like is, is happening. We all know he's full of crap. Well, as you all know, today is national hot dog day. And uh, perhaps you also know that hot dog is my favorite meat. I love hot dogs. Uh, I love them in buns. I love them outside of buns. I love them with baked beans. I just like hot dogs. It's the best, you know, best meat there is, without question. So to all of you who, like me, are celebrating uh, National Hot, hot Dog Day, uh, congratulations to you, and may there be many, many more hot dogs served in our wonderful land. <laughs> How are we supposed to take these people seriously? It's his favorite meat. You really think hot dog weenie is Mitt Romney's favorite meat? Uh, hello, Mr. Romney. Uh, tonight's menu, we have a uh, uh, dry-aged uh, six-month uh, filet mignon. Uh, we can do it Chateaubriand style, or we can prepare it in the back. Our chef has created this lovely Bernay sauce with fresh tarragon butter. Well, hey, hey, hang on there. No, no, that sounds good and all, but hot dog is my favorite meat. So, I don't know. I'll take one in the bun, out of the bun, whatever you got. Even put it in some baked beans. You know, I just, I'm such a good American that I just love hot dogs. I don't, I don't need none of that fancy uh, dry aged, uh, whatever you call it. I mean, who are they trying to fool? You know, you know what else? It sounds like Kamala Harris wrote that speech. And then I got to thinking, remember that time when Romney got up there on stage at the, I think it was the auto workers union maybe in Detroit. And he was talking about everything that he loved and he loved trees and he loved lakes and he loved cars and we can add hot dogs to the list, too. A little history. I, I, I was born and raised here. I love this state. It seems right here. The trees are the right height. Uh, I, like, uh, I, like seeing the, uh, I like seeing the lakes. I love the lakes. Just something very special here. The Great Lakes, but also all the little inland lakes that, that dot the, uh, uh, the, the parts of Michigan. Um, I love cars. I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up totally in love with cars. I have no idea who Mitt Romney's wife is. I think she's some, some lady that... That helped uh, gain his fame and fortune. I don't know for sure, but I would love to hear the conversation before Mitt goes out to talk to these people, and his wife asks him like, "So, Mitt, what are you going to talk about in your speech tomorrow to the auto workers union?" Oh well, you know I've got this method. <laughs> what I normally do is, you know, I do a little bit of research and see where I'm going, and then uh, I just figure out what's popular there, and then I just talk about how I love it, and they just eat it up. You, you got to remember, sweetie, these guys aren't the sharpest knives in the drawer. They, they put together cars for a living. <laughs> That's pretty. I'm Mitt Romney. I can, I can fool just about any of these people, and I honestly do think that. I honestly do think that these people feel that they're more equipped and better suited to make decisions for us dumb people 
because we're not really capable of making them ourselves. So, you know, they, we're lucky to have these kinds of people looking out for us. And I understand that that is the that is kind of the liberal mentality. It used to not be liberalism used to be about the individual. It has now flipped to where liberalism includes people who feel like there should be a larger centralized authority making rules to govern all the idiots down below. And I'm very much against that. I believe the idiots should be able to govern themselves and the idiots should be able to make laws, even if a small group of people don't agree with them. But, you know, that's what makes the world go around. But going back to my original, original, original point, people want somebody they can identify with. And I really do feel like that the, the reason that we are just now starting to see this, right, the reason why Trump has been able to gain the following that he has. Now, I want you to just, just for a second throw away everything you think about Trump and how much you hate how orange his skin is and how he likes to grab girls by their reproductive organs. I want you just to forget about all that and just think about how he's captivated a large group of people that you may feel like are stupid, stupid people. But either way, they have been captivated. You cannot deny that. Like no other president that you or I or anyone has ever seen. And the reason, the reason that he's been able to do this is because we're cutting out the middlemen. We're cutting out these news conglomerates that only report the things that they want to report. And we have no way of knowing, or we had back then, no way of knowing any different. So the dissemination of information came from one source, and they were able to project that however they wanted to that would most benefit whatever they wanted to benefit. Take, for example, Vietnam, right? There was a small group of people who were against the war, the hippies and the protesters, but for the most part, they were able to to gain some support, not, not nearly as much as they did in World War II, right? World War II, they had the entire country together. And this could be the downfall of country unity, is the, the ability for information to get disseminated amongst everyone. Whereas back then, in World War II days, they were able to put information out there to rally everyone together. This is what China does. This is why China will remain to be such a powerhouse is because they got everybody on the same page. Everyone is in it for China. But I'm of the mindset that we can still put America first and have our disagreements about what goes on. The problem is it looks weak from the outside. But overall, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing that we now have the ability to seek truth without relying on one of three major stations, right? Imagine how silly that sounds now. You know, growing up in the 80s and 90s, there was three places to get news. NBC, ABC, and CBS. Now imagine that now. Imagine how we would we would feel united. We would be united. We wouldn't know any different. And because nobody could rise up to have a platform large enough to speak to everyone in the country, we were just kind of stuck with whoever they gave us, right? All the wealthiest families would shove their kids into the same schools and they would come out and some of them would go be hedge fund managers and some of them would be doctors and lawyers and some of them were just destined for politics. And that's who we got, right? So-and-so's son's graduating this year. He wants to go into politics. 
So that's how we get lifelong politicians like old Joe Biden. 57 years, I don't know, 157 years, it's all the same. Never lived a day in his life outside the world of politics. But somehow or another, we think he's equipped to lead us into war. Are you freaking kidding me? Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. All right, if you say so. I know that by now everybody's heard of this song, Richmond North of Richmond by Oliver Anthony, because it's blown up. It's gotten 28 million views in 11 days on YouTube, which is insane. And it's been the talk of the the tabloid, I'd say tabloid, it's been the talk of the media people for the last week or so, especially the right-wing conservative-based media. And, you know, it's, it's no different than Trump. This guy speaks to people. He says the things. Now, if you haven't listened to the words, go through and listen to every single word of this song. Read them, actually. Because what, what he says is what a lot of people feel. And that's what makes things go viral. Things get super viral and super popular whenever they speak to us and we feel them. And sometimes it's intriguing, and other times it's entertaining, but it's always that we feel it. Remember the like one of the first videos to ever go viral back in the day? Charlie bit my finger, right? It was two, two little kids, and one of them bit the other uh, brother's finger, and he goes, yeah, he bit my finger. And the reason that video made it viral, well, let me just back up. <laughs> that video was posted 12 years ago, and it got 7 million views. Richmond, north of Richmond, was posted 11 days ago, has 28 million views. That should tell you something about virality. But either way, that video got famous because we felt the little boy's pain, and his little brother was laughing, and it struck our emotions. And this is what makes things go viral. I'm going to give you another example. If you got young listeners in the car or kids or somebody you don't want hearing foul language, just turn the volume down for the next few minutes or so. I'm going to play a clip that also went viral recently. A lot of memes were made, but it it, it went viral, and, I, and I'm going to explain why afterwards. Afterwards. But first, I'm going to set the stage because sometimes I assume that everybody's seen this, but they haven't. So what you got here, you got somebody videoing from their phone. They're sitting down in an airplane like a big commercial airplane, and they're filming this girl who had marched up to the front of the plane from somewhere in the back, and she was upset, and she was pointing at the back of the plane, and she was explaining that the people back there are not real. <laughs> and so this thing blew up. It, it was super intriguing, and it captivated people, but no one really knew why except for me. Except for me. I knew why. So you got a girl on a plane who's a smoke show turned around hollering at the people at the back. I'm telling you, I'm getting the fuck off, and there's a reason why I'm getting the fuck off, and everyone can either believe it or they cannot believe it. I don't give two fucks, but I am telling you right now, that, motherfuck that motherfucker back there is not real. And you can sit on this plane and you can fucking die with them or not. I'm not going to. Bye. 
and I'm not gonna lie. When I first saw that, I mean, and this is this is why it went viral. I wanted to know what about that mother effer back there is not real. Because to say someone's not real is weird. It's a weird accusation. Well, come to find out, from what I hear, I've only heard this from one source. I've done almost no research, but there was a Middle Eastern looking guy. <laughs> and for whatever reason, she thought he was about to blow the whole plane up. Well, she since came out and issued a, an apology, which I don't know. I don't care about an apology. I wanted to know what was going through her brain, number one. And number two, if she was single, crazy in the head, crazy in the bed. I'm just kidding. I'm done. I'm done with crazy girls. No more crazy girls. But back to my point is that I think that this these types of things go viral when we can feel what they're feeling. And we can we can understand where they're coming from. And we don't know where she's coming from. She's probably coming from an overdose of mushrooms or ecstasy or some kind of psychedelic, if I had to guess. I don't know. I've never done psychedelics. But, I mean, for her to think somebody's not real and be that, and be that convinced, you know. So, I don't know. I saw the follow-up video. She kind of bitched out the cops a little bit. First, she tried to get them to let her back on. They're like, no, 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 lady. Then they kicked her out. But either way, either way, we're talking about connecting with people and i think that her her sense of com- conviction led that video to go viral people wanted to know what is it what is it about that guy that's not real because she's certainly convinced of that and when you have a politician or somebody who's running for office and they're passionate it shows you can see it mitt romney is not passionate about hot dogs trump he's passionate he feels the way the way that he talks. I believe that he does. And I cannot say that about any other presidential candidate that I've paid attention to. Now, does that mean that we need to elect him for president because of that? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's an automatic win. But I do think it's a it's a feature or a characteristic that we should demand in candidates. We should not we should not vote for the the old robotic uh, Mitt Romney, Lindsey Graham, John McCain, all these guys that aren't humans, we should be done with them. We should we should teach them that they don't get to lead us just because they were born into the right circle. And this only works if people are willing to not support them. And sometimes that means abandoning your beloved team, right? In 2016, I abandoned Trump. I said, I'm not voting for him. And I didn't. I didn't vote for him because I didn't like him. But that's what it takes in order to change things. is to be able to call out the people who you typically vote for. A few weeks ago, Madam Speaker, I spoke to you and also Chairman McCormick about, about what? my extreme fear of dogs. Oh, no. I just encountered a dog down in the plaza. I'm very upset about this, Madam Speaker. I think it's so unfair that I have to deal with dogs here in this plaza. And I'm very, very upset, and I know that it has affected my blood pressure. If there's one thing politicians should not have to do, it's experience dogs in the plaza. Sort of what I've been trained to do. I'm just going to come out and say it. If you're scared of dogs, you shouldn't be able to lead our country. You should be able to make laws and policy that affect the people of our country. Because I feel like to be a leader, you should be brave. 
and brave people are not scared of dogs. You'll never convince me that someone can be brave and scared of dogs. Extreme fears, specifically. It was cold in here. I should have let film stay in and let y'all see that that one that's gonna happen to that white woman for letting that damn baby in that road. Y'all, anybody know this baby, bro? Anybody, do, please say something, bro. Cause this baby in the middle of the house. This baby in the this baby just out here, bro. Could you imagine just like you're just chilling at work, right? Burning company time, scrolling through your Instagram or your Facebook lives, and all of a sudden. You see these dudes out his baby that was crawling in the middle of the road, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, that's little Colton! I know that baby. He is in the road. We got to get that baby some help." That would be crazy. That would be crazy. But you know what? This the internet it fixes things. The internet fixes lots of things. Had it been 50 years ago, baby would have been crawling in the road, and he may have not gotten reunited for a long time. But if somebody seen him on the Facebook Live, they got the baby home. You know, babies don't belong in roads. Babies belong at homes. Okay, next topic. Enough of them silly clips, Brandon. We didn't come here to hear you play them damn clips. If we wanted to hear them damn clips, we'd have, we'd have tuned in to something else. I'm going to talk real briefly about regulatory capture. Why briefly? Well, because it's not that complicated and it's not super exciting. But it is something to be on the lookout for. I want you to pretend for a second that you've got a lemonade stand. And you've got some of the best freeze, freeze, the best fresh squeezed lemonade. Now you see how I messed that up? The best fresh squeezed lemonade around. And you got the best prices. You got the best spot in town. You got a great corner spot where everybody's driving by. You're adding value to their lives. They think they're getting a good deal. You think you're making good money. Everything's going great. Then all of a sudden somebody looks at you and they go, hmm, that old boy's making lots of money selling that lemonade water. I'm going to have to get me a piece of that. And your competition has got a little bit more money than you do. They they got more money to put in their lemonade stand. So what they do is they open up a lemonade stand too. And then they they realize that they're kind of taking some of your customers, but they're not taking all of them. You've got a you've got a loyal customer base that's been with you for a while. But you know their uncle died and left them some money. So they're like, "You know what? We've got two options. Either we can go into like the the limeade business, we can start making other juices, or what we can do is we can go to City Hall and we can say, hey, we make lemonade and we want to make sure that everyone who drinks our lemonade is safe. So what we want to do is require that before pouring lemonade into the cups, that all the cups have to be sterilized in a steam cleaner that makes sure that they're right before we hand the lemonade off, that it's been steam cleaned because, you know, it's all sitting outside and there's germs floating around. There's cars driving by. We don't want we don't want people to be sick. So you, we, we want to do this, but you should require it. You know, you, you should make sure that everyone does this. That way it keeps people safe. And we'll be the first ones. We'll do it, you know. So the government says, OK, it's now a law. In order to serve lemonade, you've got to hit your cups with a sterilizer, a steam-powered sterilizer, right before you pour the lemonade into it. And you look at your lemonade stand and you think, man, I was making good money, but these sterilizers cost like $4,000. And if I have to buy a sterilizer, there's nothing. I'll never make that money back. It'll take a long time before I get my money back. And I have to do it. So my two choices are go borrow the money to buy a sterilizer or just get out of the lemonade business and go find some other business I can do. Well, remember, your competitor, whose rich uncle left him a bunch of money, 
He has no problem buying that. So what does he do? He marches down. He buys a sterilizer. He goes, look at me. Look at me. I'm sterile. I have the sterile glasses. And since you're not there anymore, all your customers go to him. Now he's acquired 100% of the business. He has no competition. He doesn't care. He gets his money back for the sterilizer, which either would have been sitting in the bank or it's sitting in the sterilizer. Doesn't matter where the money is. And he's back to having 100% of the market, just like that. So this happens, but on a way bigger scale. What you'll have is big companies that, that operate in areas where there's not a lot of competition. They will lobby for laws that cost them money. But what they know that that's doing is it's keeping people from competing with them. And this is what, remember, FTX. It was a crypto exchange that went down. I talked a lot about it. But they went broke. Old Sammy Binky Binkman stole everybody's money. Nobody knows where it went. Probably to a bunch of drugs and parties. But either way, he was in the process of getting that done. He had given tons and tons and tons of money to all these Democrat politicians. He was advocating for all this regulation to be done. And so what they do is they get out there and they go, we need regulations to keep everybody safe. We guys just got to keep everyone safe. They're too stupid to make their own decisions. We need to regulate it so that they're all real safe. Well, you got these little guys that have these exchanges that they don't have the money for the legal teams and all this infrastructure that it takes to, to get up to the these regulations. So now what happens? Now FTX is in the position, oh, well, well, I guess we get all the business now. And this is one of the biggest problems I have with lobbying, with, with businesses having the ability to pay people enough money to get laws put into place so that they generally protect them. Here's another example that's somewhat like that, okay? I'm in the beer business. We make beer for a living. Even though people come in, try to order Bud Light, and we say, oh, no, this is a brewery. We make our own beer here. And they go, oh, yeah, well, okay, okay. You don't have Bud Light? Nope, don't have Bud Light. Okay, well, whatever, just give me whatever. Even though a lot of people don't understand that we make our beer, we do. And we sell our beer to places who sell beer to their customers. Well, after Prohibition, whenever they repealed Prohibition, they said, okay, you guys, we're going to let you have alcohol, but we're not going to let you move it. If you make the beer, you've got to sell it to a distributor, and he's got to sell it to a, a retail outlet who will then sell it to the customer. There's got to be three tiers. Okay, why are you going to do that? Well, we don't want too many people having too much power. Okay, that's fine. So now the distributors are the ones in charge of moving the beer. Well, recently the laws changed, and they allowed small breweries to move their own beer up to a certain point, but that's, that's beside the point. But what you see is all these laws that are constantly being passed to protect these distributors because their market share is being hurt by the uh, uh, mixture of all these small breweries all taking teeny tiny pieces of their business. So they go into Washington, D.C., and they go, you guys, you guys got to make some laws to protect us. You know, we got we got to be in the same playing field. If you guys are going to let, the, you know, the, b the beer makers move their own beer, that's not fair to us, you know, because they're just bypassing us. And I'm thinking, hello, McFly, you're unnecessary. We do not need you. The only reason that you're here is the government says you have to be here and that we have to use you once we get to a certain size. And also, because of this, these distributors, they freaking operate like the government. We're in negotiations with one of them now. I won't say their name because I'm about to slam them a little bit. 
But it's getting an email back from them is like a week, a week-long process. And if you haven't guessed, that's kind of the opposite of me, right? I don't, I don't let emails go 10 minutes without getting answered. And I know there's the four-hour work week that says, you should only respond to emails once every 10 days or, or whatever it is. But I don't play that game. I want, I want the burden to be put back on the person that I'm working with so I can get on to the next thing. But that's, that's a side note. That my point is that whenever you take away competition, whenever you say, okay, we can only have these two distributors in this county and no one else is allowed here, what happens? Well, the performance goes down the tubes. You, don't, you only have one competitor. And you could call them up and you could say, hey, let's raise our prices. And they go, okay, don't tell anybody we had this conversation. All right, done deal. If you want Bud Light, well, nobody wants Bud Light, but if you want Budweiser or Miller Light, you can only buy it from one person in each county. You can't buy it from two. So the guy who brings it to you has absolutely no incentive to give you good service. Now, you know, he'll he'll do what he can. I'll, I'll help you out, whatever I can do. They all love to talk a big game about how they're so good and so helpful. But they don't know. These distributors would never make it if they had real competition. So... They have laws in place to protect them. And I don't know. You know, it's tough. I, I can see kind of both sides, right? If there weren't laws to protect the little guys, then the big guys could put us out of business, you know? They could probably offer incentives to bars to say, hey, if you don't carry their beer, we'll give you $1,000 a month. And then I'd be screwed. But sure enough, there would probably be some things that we could do that they couldn't, you know. I'm just I'm not a big fan of making laws to protect protect industry that that is inefficient, right? Take for example, whenever Airbnb came on the scene and all the hotels were saying to level the playing field, they should also have to pay taxes there, hotel occupancy tax. Why? Why do we want to create more taxes than than what's already there. So we, so we can give more money to the government so they can just waste it, throw it down the toilet? The idea of, of an unlevel playing field is what has helped us rise to the world superpower. Innovation, technology, forward progress. Just remember, the more competition, the better off the consumer. And that is a fact, Jack, which kind of leads me into my next topic. But I think that wraps up regulatory capture. Just, you might hear that word. All it is, is just businesses getting laws passed to help them have less competition. This is a very, very bad thing, if you ask me. Now it's time to talk about something that I haven't talked about in a while. Income inequality? That's right, the wealth gap. Let's talk a little bit about the wealth gap. You know, you hear everyone talking about the wealth gap and the gap and the wealth and the wealthy and the wealth. And I want to break down a little bit some statistics that I heard the other day that I thought were quite interesting. And if we're talking about income growth, the top 5% of the people in the U.S. who make the, the highest incomes, the top 5% earners, their income is up 50% over the last, I think, 20, 25 years. Maybe even less than that. I don't know. Maybe fewer years than that. I don't know. Either way. The top 20% of earners, they're up 60%. So we got 5% up 50% of their income. We got the top 20% of the population earners up 60% in their income. 
And the remaining 75% of the people are flat, which means their real wages have not gone up. And I could do a better job with this because I, I didn't put down the time frame. But I want to say it's like, I don't know, 10 to 15 years, maybe 20. And so what you see is the wealthy have gotten wealthier and the not wealthy have not gotten any more wealthy. And you have to be careful when you talk about these kinds of things because if you say things like, well, that's how it should be, then people will, will say, oh, he thinks that the wealthy should just be getting wealthier and the poor should just get poor. He said it. He said that's how it should be. And when I say that's how it should be, I don't mean that that's, that's best. I don't mean that, well, what I'm trying to say is that's how it should be because the country is free. And the competitive environment is getting more and more and more competitive. I'm going to try to do this <laughs> and not sound like an arrogant asshole. But, I, but here's how it works, right? There's two basic functions of people in an economy. Either you trade, you trade your time for money, and, and a lot of times that can be had you know, because of your knowledge, because, because of how much you know, your skill set, you're trading your time in exchange for money. That would be a typical income earner. Or you're the kind of person who sees a hole or, or sees some value to be added, and then you take people who have skill sets and have the knowledge, and you use them, for lack of a better word, to fulfill the gap that you see. This would be primarily business owners and entrepreneurs. And as time goes on, the percentage of both of those people doesn't necessarily increase at the same rate. Because just because you you have two parents that were entrepreneurs doesn't mean you're going to have a kid that are entrepreneurs. And by the same token, just if you have two parents who are earners doesn't mean you're going to have two kids that are earners. But we can all admit that a majority of the people are income earners, right? In America, even though it's the, the small business is the backbone of the entire country, most people don't own businesses. Most people work for wages. And that's probably not going to change, right? In fact, it's probably more and more people are becoming that way as companies become larger and larger. Because here's how it all works. If you have a company, when the company grows, sure, the wages may grow a little bit, but the number of employees is going to grow also. And so because of the number of employees are growing that these companies need as the companies grow, it gets more competitive for wages. So now, as the business owner, somebody has the advantage of being able to say, okay, um, I understand that you can do X, Y, and Z for this amount of money, but I got someone over here that can do it for less. And so I'm going to hire them, right? So because of that competitive environment, it suppresses the price of wages. Or maybe it doesn't suppress the price of wages, but it allows them to, it keeps them from growing as fast as they would. So if we look at an economy and we say, oh, the economy is constantly growing, that does not necessarily mean that wages are growing. On the flip side, what, what ends up happening is that the consumers get a better experience. So because we have more people that are willing to work and the competition becomes more and more, the prices of the goods that are produced end up going down. So while the wages haven't gone up, what your money can buy you in exchange for your time has greatly improved.
And so it makes sense to me to think about it in terms of, okay, the, the people who are taking the risk to own businesses are getting more efficient and more efficient. And because of that, they're able to sell things at a lower price and still make the profits they need to take those risks. And on the wage earner's side, they're fighting more and more and more for wages, but they're benefiting from the prices of everything coming down. And I know that prices aren't really coming down, but let's just look at um, just the average, the average life for the average person. Because of technology and because of the competitive environment, half of our country is running around with $1,200 phones. And that's insane. It's insane to me that, that somebody who works at a fast food restaurant can have the exact same phone as a movie star. And if you compare that to like 1955, they probably shared almost nothing in common. You know, they probably could afford the same hammer, the same tools, you know, other than that, there wasn't much that they shared. And the only way to change this, the only way to to guarantee that wages are are more, that you have a wage increase for 75% of the population, is to remove the wealth from the top 25% and redistribute it to the bottom 75%. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great, right? Imagine, though, being one of the 25 percenters, and money gets taken from your pile and piled up on someone else's pile. Probably not a good thing. That would dissuade people from taking risks and being innovators and trying to go out on a limb. But that's just my take, you know? You might have your own take. You might you might want to live in a socialistic economy where or maybe even communist, you know, where we all just do our job and it doesn't matter if we pick up trash or we do heart surgery. We all kind of have the same standard of living. You know, you might think that's best. I don't. I don't think so. Because I tell you what, if we went to that economy and they said, all right, Brandon, you can either pick up trash or study to do brain surgery. And I would say, well, uh, what's the pay difference? And they would say, oh, no, it's the same. It's the same. I'm going to go, sign me up for the trash, please. Without further ado, take it away, Mary Sue. Jesus Christ is my nigga. He's the son of the original G. And he was sent to Earth to elucidate the way that we should be. That, you know, nigga, nigga this, nigga. Nigga, please, nigga. You know, can you lend the nigga a pencil? I put the H on it to emphasize it's nigga. Why, why is this word used so frequently? So I just, I just don't understand it. And if you don't know, now you know. Boy, I sure hope this isn't an episode that gets me canceled. <laughs> oh, boy. I'm just kidding. I'm not scared. I'm no longer scared to share my opinions. And if they offend you, man, I'm sorry. I, I'm not sorry, but I'm sorry you're offended. But uh, it's just it's just my opinion. That's it. Nothing else, you know? That is all. You know what I'm tired of? You know, I, I don't know why... I see all this nonsense going on, but I see all these videos of these people running into stores and ransacking them and taking purses and shoes and running out and, and everybody just stands around and watches them. Everybody's videotaping them with the camcorders, just watching them rob and steal. And I understand not wanting to interfere or, or put your safety on the line for these thugs that walk around and ski masks and hoodies 
But I, I just asked myself, why isn't somebody knocking these people out? Why isn't somebody knocking these people out? And why aren't politicians speaking out against this? You know, is it is it because that they all have a certain skin color in these videos? I don't know. I'm only speculating that maybe they're scared to, to say something when we all know that this is a horrific crime and we're just letting this happen. And behaviors will continue until we stop them. And they will get worse. It's like a dog... A dog who doesn't like people, who's real mean, he's aggressive, he's just mainly scared of people, doesn't want him near him. And when you go near the dog and he shows his lips, shows his teeth, curls up his lips, he's staring at you at the side of his eyes, his tail straight up, and it's real stiff, and then he gets quiet, and then boom, he bites you. And what do you do? You immediately jerk your hand back. Well, what did that dog learn? Oh, all I got to do is bite him and they'll leave me alone. Okay, so this same type of learning is happening with these people that are running into stores and stealing purses. And I just don't understand why the president or somebody doesn't come out. And if I was president or if I was a governor, I think most of this stuff's happening in California. But if if I was a, a political leader, I would come out and I would say, listen, all you people that think it's okay to run into stores and steal things, you guys need to knock it off. Because I'm going to encourage everyone in those stores to carry baseball bats and guns. And I'm going to encourage them to hit you upside your head when you come in the store. And I'm going to encourage them to shoot you if you have a weapon. Because this behavior is nonsense. We don't live in a third world country. We're not going to behave this way. The reason that we have nice things is because we don't let this kind of behavior perpetuate. So you idiots out there running into stores and stealing things that don't belong to you needs to stop. I don't care if there's things that you can't afford. That's not my problem. My advice to you would be go to freaking work, get a job, and figure out how to afford those things. And not go to your communities and steal things that support the people who work at the places to serve you. That's what I would say. You know? Why is it so hard? Are they scared that they're gonna they're gonna lose an election? Is it so important to them that these people get elected that they're not willing to speak up? At this nonsense? Because I truly think we might be close to a turning point. We might be close to the point. At least, you know, this is the eternal optimist in me. I'm hoping that we're we're getting close to a point where people are fed up and they've had enough. And this day will come eventually. If not now, it will come. And the sooner that it comes, the less violent it will be, the less effort it will take to stop it. And it's probably discomfort that stops people from speaking out or dealing with this situation right now. But much like most of life, the longer you delay dealing with a problem, the more difficult it will be to deal with it. Going back to the dog example, if the dog bites one person and it works, that can be changed. If the dog has a five-year history of biting 10 people per year, and it working every single time, it will be almost impossible to change. It will take, it will take acts of, of force and discomfort that wouldn't be required had it only worked for the dog one time. Now, I say it worked for the dog because you got to look at it from the dog's mind. He thinks to himself, I don't want this person near me. If I bite him, they will, they will go away, and, th and that's my wish. That's what I want. So it worked for the dog. 
And so just like these people who think, I'm going to go, you know what, I, I want a $2,000 purse. And their friends say, well, you, you can't afford one. I know, I know, but I want one, and I'm going to go get one, and I don't care what I have to do to get it. I'm going to just go run in the store, I'm going to take it and run out, and they won't stop me. And your friend goes, okay, whatever, have at it. And then the dude goes, and he steals a purse, and he gives it to his girl. She loves him. She's happy. He thought to himself, man, <laughs> that was easy. I just ran in there, and I grabbed a $2,000 purse, and I ran out. And now my girlfriend loves me forever. Why would I quit? Why would I stop? I wouldn't because it worked. I was able to achieve my goal. And so why not do it again? Because it worked. So we're just seeing these groups of grown-ass people, right? Maybe they're kids. Maybe they're 16, 17. Doesn't matter. You're still old enough to know better at 16 or 17. But either way, you're seeing these large groups of people that are running into department stores and high-end boutiques and just blatantly taking things off the shelf and running out. And you know what? If the politicians, the lazy, useless, worthless politicians don't step up and do something, the people are going to, they will eventually. They will close the doors to the shops and they'll just go away. And those who stay will end up hitting somebody in the head with a baseball bat. And if that happened a few times, this would stop. And the only thing that bothers me, the, the, the main thing that bothers me is why is the, the answer to this. Why are we not stopping them? What's the reason? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. And that's, that's my preponderance about this whole situation. Maybe you do know. Maybe I do know. Maybe we're not willing to say it. Why are we not willing to say it? Because we've been trained not to. We've been trained not to. And the truth hurts. And you've been taught not to say words, not to think things, and not to say things. And that's it. That's all I'm going to say. You can do all your own research and see if I'm lying. And if you don't know, now you know, nigga. I do love me some Notorious B.I.G. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I do like some Notorious B.I.G. I wish he wouldn't have died. I think he had some dope beats and some dope rhymes. And I was a fan of the Notorious B.I.G. I was I almost named a cat Notorious C.A.T., but I didn't. I named him Tito instead. You want to know what's amazing? Here's what's here's what they what they call it life changing game changer. Here's what's been a game changer for me: uh, grocery delivery. Okay, I got about halfway through my morning, and I thought to myself, "Man, I got a whole slew of peppers." By a whole slew, I don't, I don't mean a whole slew, but I got a good amount of peppers here for my little pepper plants. I got more than I can eat, so I need to preserve them. I'm going to pickle them. And it was about, I don't know, 10.30. I was like, man, <laughs> you're going to think I'm lazy. And I, and I kind of am, but I just don't like dealing with the public. So I was like, man, I don't have any vinegar. I need some vinegar to pickle my peppers. And I want to do it right now. I don't want to wait. I don't want to go anywhere. I just need vinegar. So I get out the old trusty iPhone. I log on to Walmart.com's app. I find myself some vinegar and a few other things. And for, I think, a, a $10 fee, right? Normally delivery is free because I think I pay 20 bucks a month for free delivery, which is well worth it. So I pay the $10 and I have the groceries brought to me faster than it would have taken for me to drive to the store 
walk around the store saying, excuse me, sir, sir, excuse me, excuse me. Oh, no, you don't worry. Okay. All right. And then I go to the next person and say, excuse me, sir, can you tell me where the vinegar? Oh, uh, I, I, don't, I don't work here. You're, you're putting chips on the shelf. I know, but I don't work here. I work for the chip company. Okay. Then I'd go to the next person and I'd say, can you tell me where the vinegar is? He'd go, aisle 16. And I'd go to aisle 16 and I'd get the vinegar. Then we would repeat that for the other things that I needed. And it would be probably an hour later from the time that I left my house to the time I got to Walmart and I parked and I walked around and I found what I needed and I got home. It'd be about an hour. I think it was like 22 minutes. I pushed by now and I instantly get a text message saying we're shopping for your order. Then we're leaving Walmart. We'll be at your house shortly. Boom. Groceries were dropped off like 25 minutes later for $10. Are you freaking kidding me? Like who would bypass this chance? Who who would say, well, I just I kind of like to go to the store. And you know what? And maybe some people do like to go to the store, but I'm not one of them. And so this, this technology I can be for, <laughs> it's probably going to lead to the demise of our civilization. We're probably going to be telling stories to our grandkids and great grandkids about, well, man, back in my day, you, you had to go to the store and you had to interact with people. Now people just sit there in their pods and they don't leave their house and they, they use the restroom and the catheter and they just do whatever they do in virtual land. And that's probably how it's going to go. It's probably how it's all going to end. But for me, I'll be able to brag about the time in my life when I went to or went from having to go to the grocery store to having the groceries set on my front porch and and left there without even ringing the doorbell. You know, that's that's working for me. That is working for me right now. And you know what? And here's the way I look at it. Here's here's the way that I look at it. My time is limited. Your time is limited. Everyone's time is limited. We have a, no, a number of minutes left in our life. And any opportunity that we can exchange those minutes or trade those minutes in from things we don't want to be doing to things we want to be doing, the better off we'll be. And you, if you value your time, right, if you get paid for your time, your time has value. It's worth X amount of dollars per hour. And as long as it's less to have your groceries brought to you, then what you get paid, you're winning. You're winning. And I get it. There's, I like to be inspired when I go to the store. I get, I get it. I get all that. And just, you know, sometimes I do too. And I go to the store when that's the case. But just like anything else, the more choices we have, the better off we'll be. Freedom equals choices. Quantity of freedom equals quantity of choices. This ain't your father's Republican Party. Not, not a joke. Whose is it? All you got to do is look what is being played on, played the, 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 this morning. What? About the tape that was released. Anyway. Tapes. You know, but they, all, all kidding aside, this is a MAGA party now. That's right, baby. It's, you know, you got the, the senator from Texas and others. These, these guys are a different breed of cat. You sure are. They're not like what I served with for so many years. Nope. And we are the not. people who know better are afraid to act correctly because they know they'll be primary. You see, they're getting scared. They're getting scared that things are changing and it's not your father's Republican Party. You know, I I don't blame him. He's probably trembling. He's seeing things unfold. He's sitting there talking about, man, back in the good old day, 
you could get away with so much corruption and nobody ever knew. And your son could be the biggest crackhead and the biggest deadbeat dad and no one would ever know. But now, since everybody has all the information, we got to be acting right. And guess what? I'm out of here. I'm going to die any day now, so I don't have to be acting right. I can just pretend like I'm an old man that poops and my depends, and that's it. And then I'll be done, and as soon as I get out of office, I'll probably die, and I won't have a chance to experience all the free money that I got from China and Russia. So, yeah, he's probably dissatisfied that the game is ending, but guys like me are happy that the game is ending. And unfortunately, this is where I shall put a bow on this program and indicate that I am finished. I don't know what you're doing the rest of the day, but I'm going to go cook me some barbacoa, which is one of my favorite South Texas treats. It's, it's beef cheeks that are braised down to where they fall apart, and then you make tacos out of them. And it's one of my favorite things to eat. I probably will buy some Bitcoin, too, and so should you. I would like to thank you for listening to the Don't Sue Me Bro podcast with me, your host, Brandon Harper. I would also encourage you to go check out worldsbesthammocks.com. Find yourself a luxurious hammock for only a few hundred bucks. Where else can you get the world's best anything for a few hundred bucks? I hope everybody has a great week. Go out there, do some new hobbies, pay attention to the politicians. Figure out what you can do to grow your income. If you see somebody looting or robbing or stealing, at least throw something at them, you know? Pick up one of those racks and just sling it at them. I was, I'm waiting to see these videos. I'm not joking. I'm not a joke. Not a joke. Not a joke. If you feel like somebody's not real, <laughs> announce it to the world. Just be respectful about it. Embrace AI and technology. It will make your life better. Don't call them fur babies. They're animals. They're not babies. Listen to the words of the music you hear. And whatever you do, under any circumstances, don't sue me, bro. Don't sue me, bro.